Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Hey everyone, you're listening to the PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruton, and on today's episode is Ryan Buchanan, founder and CEO of digital marketing agency Eroy. Really enjoyed talking to Ryan, getting the story of how he founded his agency, um, how he's grown it, and also what he's doing in the community here in Portland, especially with supporting and co-founding uh, Emerging Leaders PDX. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ryan. Ryan, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dan. So I always, I know this is a super broad question. Um, I'd love for you to just give a little overview of who you are, you know, the company that you, you run here, and we'll, we'll get into it from there. Great. Yeah. Um, Ryan Buchanan. I am founder and CEO of a digital marketing agency called Eroy here in Portland. And I'm also co-founder of a nonprofit called Emerging Leaders. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I really want to get into Emerging Leaders because, uh, as you know, I've interviewed Cynthia Manuel. Mm-hmm. Who's She's a, great. She is great. And so we'll get into that path. But let's let's kind of bring it back. The agency now is 12 years old. They're a little longer. 17. 17. Yeah. Okay. So what was your kind of background? Were you working on agencies before then or? Well, I'll, yeah, I'll go way back. Okay. I just, I was thinking about this, um, this morning as I was biking in, um, I was like, man, when I was a 10 year old kid, I would have never thought like, I'm going to grow up and, and start a digital agency like that. I wanted to be an NBA point guard, you mm-hmm. know, I just, and then um, I still think uh, <laughs> when <laughs> I'm like edge. airballing my threes on Tuesday nights when I play with other guy friends, and um, I'm like, ah, oh, maybe it's a good choice. I, I didn't go down that path, but um, yeah. So so went to college, University of Virginia, double majored in finance and environmental science, and so I say environmental science got me to Oregon because I fell in love with the outdoors. Um, this place is amazing and but finance employed me i was a financial analyst at intel uh for the first four years of being out here and then um it was end of 99 a lot of my friends uh from intel moved to bay area to work at a dot com i thought wow this is this cool revolution that's happening Um, i might as well start some sort of dot com uh so i started a company called GC Materials, okay. which um, kind of like a software tool called Basecamp or other project management tools, but it was specifically for how commercial buildings are built. Hmm. My dad, granddad, and great-granddad were all uh, real in the real estate okay. um, industry back in D.C., where I'm from. And so I was like, oh, since somehow in my blood, I'll just know that industry. And (laughs) even though I'm a finance guy at Intel and know nothing about how to code or do any like actual technology, like it's perfect. (laughs) I I do think being naive is super helpful to becoming an entrepreneur because um, it's super hard and you just, uh, you know, there's, you'd build a lot of barriers in your head if you knew how hard it'd be. So left Intel uh, at the worst possible time, the stock market crashed, and I was starting this new thing, and um, basically beat my head against the wall for two years because the commercial industry, or the commercial construction industry, uh, really liked tactile paper and things in their hands, and we were automating and digitizing, bringing to the web 
a paper process between subcontractors, uh, general contractors, architects, all of that. And ultimately it kind of, that piece failed, but I, um, became really good friends with a bunch of other entrepreneurs. Uh, we started this peer support group of entrepreneurs called Starbucks. We oh, were yeah. starving mm-hmm. startups. Mm-hmm. I was a co-founder of that. And I, had a couple buddies out of that who started a email marketing software company here in Portland called cooler email. Hmm. We licensed that software and put email ROI, our logo, uh, in the top left and kind of a wrapper around it, but we had no control of the guts of the software and we, we started growing like crazy. And so basically GC materials kind of, became me and another developer for making um, contractors' websites. And that quickly folded into the email ROI umbrella. um, And we became Eroy because we were from email campaigns. You needed to point to a website. And so we were doing email campaigns and websites. And by what year was this then? The early 2000s? So started, yeah, so end of 2002 um incorporated email roi and we had it was one of those um i knew from beating my head against a wall for two years that that didn't feel good and so um getting some clients on the email roi space within a few months we had like eight major clients sega singular wireless walmart microsoft we had very small projects but they validated that we could work with both small and large companies and so we we were on a trajectory that ultimately led us to be one of the fastest 500 growing companies in the country um, an Inc. 500 company, and um, we were our timing was great because companies didn't have the resources in house, the the people to get an email campaign out the door, like a well branded and right. all of that. And they also, you know, the software piece was just starting to come um, come about from third party vendors like us, even though we were licensing it. So we were always an agency, but we presented like we were a software company and a creative company all in one, which was a little misnomer. Um, But we, yeah, we pulled it off and we were able to um, grow really rapidly from uh, brands that were able to outsource their um, email marketing Mm -hmm. full service needs to us. And so I know there kind of a shift happened and I used to work at the Oregonian and one of my colleagues, uh, I love Mike's on the, be on the podcast next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he wrote an article about you kind of had this pivot. Um, and was that just timing or can you tell, talk about that? Cause you, yeah, Mike's a neighbor of mine. Oh yeah. So, like <laughs> <Okay>. I think <laughs> it was one of those, I'm naturally an overshare, but it was like, Oh yeah, let me just like share my story. <laughs> secretly like bit. writing stuff <laughs> down. Like, and he published like, all of it. And I was just like, Ooh, I shared like a lot of dirty details with you. Like you could have held back on some of these things, but yeah. So the story, uh, the real life story went something like this. Like, uh, like I mentioned, um, it, things took off right out of the shoots and it was, I think a lot of that went, to my head as far as like, Oh, if I can do this, then like, we can do this big pivot into 
a very risky area, like be going from agency to being a full software company. Um, and I know everybody says it's hard, but like I can, I've got this. And, um, one of the things that I've mentioned, I did kind of a entrepreneurial talk. That's kind of like a Ted talk called EO talks, uh, six months ago called embracing being uncomfortable. And one thing that I, it took me a long time to realize is that in that three year transition period of us trying to be a software company and launching our beta product, but then ultimately running out of money and, um, I had, uh, and then having 38 of the 41 employees leave the company Mm. in a three month, uh, period is that I felt like at the time, like I was the victim. I you know, like it was a million and a half dollars of my own money that I had to pay back over the next five years. Mm -hmm. Luckily it was only five years. Um, and the bank had a gun to my head and I almost had a heart attack. I was Mm. tasting iron in the back of my throat and all of that. So there was a lot of thread of like, I am the victim, but the reality was that I, I am a natural salesperson and I was not real with my employees of like, Hey, this vision that I'm selling you on that you like in my head, you're totally bought into. Of course you're bought into because you're an employee and I'm, if you're not bought in, then like, it's not going to work out. I'm not sharing with you the risk of if this doesn't work out, which is highly likely not to, because it's super risky to do an enterprise software, um, you know, and play in a very competitive space, then you'll likely be out of, out of a job at that point. So, I realized many years later, like, oh, employees had every reason to be really pissed off at me because I wasn't entirely forthcoming. Like, I have learned the value of initiating hard conversations is so important to company culture and just to being human, you know, like that is... um, I think we, as humans, like to avoid... We do, and I... um that's something that it's really top of mind for me. There's a book called Crucial Conversations. Have you? I don't know if you read it. It's, it's just, about that. Mm-hmm. I finished another. A woman named Kim Scott wrote a book called Radical Candor. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's like it's incredibly good. Yeah, it's something we avoid, mm-hmm. right? So, how did you kind of make it through that time? You personally, but the business, you know, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well. A uh, couple tactical things. I was able to renegotiate the um, the payback period with the bank, which was like, we want our half million dollars back now. I was able to say, well, I can get that to you over 15 months. And, and I delivered on that. Um, didn't really have a choice but to deliver on it. But ultimately, we went back to our roots as a digital campaign agency and we switched from a model of having 350 clients um, to of a lot of um, where we were empowering our clients on how to send out their own campaigns. And we had some creative work on the front end, but ultimately they were just kind of hooked to the software and we were making licensing revenue. We went from that more transactional model with lots and lots of clients to really today we probably have a dozen and if i'm being really honest maybe like four or five really large 
clients where we've been with them for six, seven years, and we have a very strategic, very data-driven um, extension of their team type of relation, a strategic relationship with them that's ongoing. And it's much more similar to how kind of Wyden and Kennedy is sure. structured and others. Um, but very different from the the transactional model, which wasn't as deep and fulfilling because you're just always surface level with your clients. So yeah. it's a pretty major shift going back to our core, owning that we're an agency only and that we're licensing software, not trying to mm-hmm. uh, present ourselves differently than that. Yeah. And, uh, and it took a couple years where we were basically flatlined at about 15 employees. When I said 38 out of 41 employees left, we rehired to, you know, kind of get to that low point of 15 employees. And that now we're 120 employees. And so the big, um, great new office, by the way, <laughs> six, six yeah. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I've kind of pinching myself of, um, coming from a more uh, creative office space in Old Town to a uh, very dialed space um, here at the in the Pearl District. But we landed Nike as uh, an account that was really like, there was a huge strategic push for them to be direct to consumer and really um, uh not own, I guess, more thoroughly own the relationship that directly that they have with the consumer. And email was one of the first channels that they could really tell a full brand story and drive e-commerce at the same time without doing any discounting or anything like that. And we were perfect to be a partner with them. And that landing them as a client springboarded into Taco Bell, which springboarded into Adobe and a few other um, major consumer brands that we work with. Mm-hmm. How was that the that time on you personally as a leader? Were you were you just heads down like? I... So I mean, when I was tasting iron in the back of my throat, yeah. it was uh, and having many panic attacks. I'm a really calm person and um, with a lot of energy. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like mm-hmm. I work out a lot and all of that to maybe stay calm. But I, my brain was not calm at that time. And uh, some people use the analogy of it's like trying to read the label on a bottle when you're inside the bottle and right. it's being shaken. It's like really, really hard to do. It's hard to think calmly and any more than just a few, like a day out. And so we fortunately had a business model that had a lot of recurring software revenue so that when clients on the creative side were leaving us, we had a buffer there, but it was, it was super painful. Um, and it wasn't until, and our culture was toxic when that happened. And, so it wasn't until we could settle in um, a year later and rebuild some leadership and things like that and then build off the, the momentum with Nike that um, I could learn from some past mistakes. Got it. Okay. So, I mean, you got through that time and then, uh, gosh, there's so much, so much I want to talk about, but we'll, we'll get into emerging leaders because I think there was like a moment you said you were at an event or a meeting and you looked around the room and it was very much the same demographics. 
And so kind of talk about that and the action you took and you co-founded a, a nonprofit. So do you mind just kind of going over that? Sure. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. So I, you know, I moved, I grew up in DC, moved out to Portland, like super into the outdoors. And it's one of these things that is so obvious in hindsight, but, um, you just go with the flow and there's an inertia and, um, we built the business off. I, you know, a lot of my unique ability is on relationship building in the community and getting clients that way and things like that. And there's so much that, uh, you don't realize until you're in certain settings where it's like, wow, the privilege that I have of being male, of being white and of like being in comfortable places and all of these professional associations that happen to have people who look a lot like me. And when I was at a entrepreneur slash business owner type of event um, here in Portland, and I look around the room and 85 of the 90 people are white men, um, it just hit me like, holy crap, like I have been a huge part of the problem because most of those people are my friends. And um, we've been perpetuating this system, which statistically is our companies are performing worse because of it. Like there's so many studies, McKenzie and all these others where diverse teams perform 30% better and all that. But again, that's more in the brain side of things. But like just from a heart perspective, like I was limiting my own growth by like just it's like eating you know, rice every day for every meal, like it's just the same and homogenous. And like, there was a richness that was not there in my life, because I was not an intentionally creating those relationships and things like that. So basically, the next day, um, I had a beer with a, a friend who runs a nonprofit, um, who had been has been working for the past decade with um college students of color and having um uh giving full ride uh college scholarships here in portland uh for the past decade and it's just like oh wow like um my you know i know that i since i haven't been intentional about racial equity in my own company this was four years ago i know a lot of my entrepreneur peers and friends of mine are, are likely having the same issue so i wrote a blog post called portland business community Two white Two male and um, the call to the action to, of that was like, hey, you know, would you host a super talented intern uh, in your company, a uh, diverse intern? And that then, you know, we thought we'd get a half dozen. There's 35 CEOs who signed up. And, uh, you know, and from that day to now, uh, this is our fourth summer, we placed 320 interns oh, wow. at over 100 companies. But that is one piece of the vision. Um, Sue Embry is the third co-founder and really said, hey, in, you know, she was one of the first companies, she runs DHM Research, one of the first companies to participate. But she's like, hey, most CEOs and me included, there's something much bigger out there as an immigrant and as an Asian woman, as a CEO, um, you know, 
let's really look at pathways to leadership for professionals of color from college to the C-suite. And let's look at the the key drop-off points where the barriers are really, really high. Like one is getting that first opportunity. Great internships. The next is like having a mentor um, to ultimately uh, get me as a professional of color to maybe a mid-level manager and what does it look like to have a cohort of mid-level managers of color and have that facilitated so that we can know how to get around certain barriers that are there? And then the last thing would be kind of more of a power network for executives and how can we as white allies um, help in um, finding where opportunities like most executive positions and board positions are filled before they're ever publicly available. So how can we create something like that? So right now we're so constrained with the growth and like the momentum that we have Mm -hmm. with the intern and mentoring program just starting, but the intern program being four summers in that, and we're creating a cohort of connected, um, super talented college students and recent college grads of color. We're also creating a cohort of over a hundred companies who really have shared values on why racial equity is super important to their company. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is create a movement across all of Portland organizations to ultimately change company culture so that it is more like automatically embedded that we're creating an inclusive culture at our companies and not checking the box that like, oh, this is good PR. I'm going to hire a diverse person and have them come into a pretty all white, you know, Mm -hmm company that we haven't really set up to be that welcoming. We're trying to change that narrative. Mm -hmm. And so how's the reception been when you're approaching companies? I assume you're trying to grow that list. You said a hundred already. Yeah. I mean, the reception is it's as with any startup, there are everyone doubts you in the beginning. Um, and then I have to give a lot of credit to, um, you mentioned, uh, you know, Cynthia, you, how many episodes do you have? Like, there's like sixty or something, something like that. And yeah. she was episode forty or something, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So Cynthia Manuel, phenomenal. She was our executive director, and she's now um, going into the private sector okay. to have an impact there. Um, and a woman named Felicia Tripp, who uh, Felicia uh, ran the Portland Housing Bureau before, but is just such an incredible leader, um, super connected in the whole community, but especially uh, African-American community here in Portland, and just has an incredibly strategic mind to build the systems in place to ultimately create one of the most influential alumni networks of professionals of color in the country, and we think we can do it here. Um, And that's all through emerging leaders. And so, so it's really not... I would say now that we are four summers in and people have seen that, um, God, this is really taken off. And, you know, the majority of recent college grads are hired full time and are rising up. Like at my own company, we've hired 19 interns and a hundred percent that have, that have become recent college grads. Um, we have hired those folks and cool. some of those are now mid-level managers within Eroy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Nike is seeing that at, the, at their company is like, wow, the talent is amazing in our backyard when the default is like Ivy League is the only place we'll go for internships. And people are starting, companies are starting to realize like, wow, like 
I didn't know that much about George Fox, but God, there's some incredible, you know, talent here in our backyard. So it's that paradigm shift where large companies, you know, are go like, oh, I'll try this. And then we've proven ourselves. And so the goal is to lean into have those companies like PGE take 20 interns this yeah. summer and things like that. Mm. It's a slow process. Um, so I think we're more about expanding on the relationships that we have and others that we attract, but not um, so hell-bent on we just have to get more and more numbers out there um, to we we want to create something where the relationships are super strong. So mm. it's a balance of wanting to have a big impact numbers wise, but also uh, feeling like at some point, if you get beyond a certain number, like 200 interns in a cohort, it becomes a whole lot less intimate, you know? So we, we have to balance that. Yeah. And I, I, I well, first of all, I, you know, thanks for doing that work. It's impactful, and I've got to learn about it firsthand. And I think it's 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 much needed. Um, well, let's talk about a few other things. I'm interested in kind of the agency landscape here. It's really healthy. It seems like everybody's um, pretty friendly, right? And so, how has that changed? I mean, you're in one of the early agencies here. There's a lot of great agencies here. Um, you think that's been good? All these agencies starting here, coming here for? Or do you partner with them? How has that that landscape changed, I guess, in the past? Yeah, I think um, as far as the agency world, there's an association called PAF, Portland Advertising Mm -hmm. Agency, um, or Portland Ad Federation, sorry. Uh, Long time ago, I was on the uh, board of that, and we created a thing called um, Agency Owner Roundtable, where we get together every month. And um, so it's... Because, you know, when you're running an agency, you don't have any peers at your company. And we talk about things that are not necessarily super confidential, like we don't share our books, but we do share, you know, whether it's a key employee and how to get the best out of that person or um, or tricky situations we have with a client or what have you. Um, it's super collaborative and a very helpful place even for agencies that go head-to-head on pitches Hmm. um i at eroy we're in a fortunate place to where almost no other agencies have the background in being i mean we're much more than an email agency we we are heavily into web and mobile apps and, um, you know, creative for the mobile space and social media and things like that. But, um, we really don't compete much with any other local agencies on uh, some of our offerings. Okay. And so it's very non-threatening for, you know, anyone to talk to me or me to them because they're not going to feel like we're going to be head to head in a pitch. Mm-hmm. But I do, I think that this is a, a very collaborative space and there are a whole, I think the big change in the past decade is, you know, RGA and AKQA and, um, you know, Roundhouse, like so many other agencies from, uh, that are headquartered in other places are coming here because the creative talent is all here. And, um, so and that there's much more of a meetup mentality so there isn't a convener 
um, like there was 15 years ago with PAF being the main convener. I feel like um, like Wine and Kennedy is its own ecosystem of getting the most talented speakers and you know some of the best thinkers to just go there. Yeah. You know, and so um, yeah, I just I. I love, I, I guess I would define myself more in the entrepreneurial tribe instead of solely in the agency owner space. Yeah, makes sense. And yeah, and that kind of transitions to my next question is these com- bigger companies are com- setting up kind of satellite offices here, mm-hmm. maybe first testing it out mm-hmm. and then growing. And they're realizing like, oh shit, there's a lot of great talent here, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's exciting about being in Portland. So where do you see kind of the business community here? Um, we're going to continue to grow. What do you what do you think are some challenges with that as more companies move here? I mean, it could just be infrastructure wise or. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I guess. I know you're an optimist because I, yeah. so, I mean, we could focus on that. So, and we've been, I mean, we've literally added like 40 employees gone from 80 to 120 in the past, like six to nine months. Oh, like wow. it's, so we benefited from, yeah. uh, other agencies who maybe haven't been growing that fast from some of their talent, you know, coming this way. So I think it's the challenge is there's not many consumer brands based in Portland. And so clients, other than Nike and Intel have to come from elsewhere. Um, but, uh, I don't know. We've just been through all of the community stuff that Eroy does in the business community and in the nonprofit world, the relationships that I've created with other board members and things like that have, um, turned into new clients and, um, and you know, so for the few large consumer brands that are here, it's been really, really helpful to, and rewarding, um, financially for doing good in the community. So it's like, it's nice to believe in this virtuous cycle. Um, and it's, it's paying off that way. So I feel like it's really hard to look at macroeconomic trends and things like that. I think so much of it is dependent on what I, as the entrepreneur, make of the opportunities that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are like, you know, well, again, going back to when I had that victim mentality, um, I could have also blamed it on uh, it was a recession and all of these things. But I think if you are good enough on building relationships and you and you anticipate client needs and you really um, lean in heavily is really on it's much more dependent on how you execute than it is on recession mm-hmm. on other things you know mm-hmm. other factors and you've lived through it twice yeah <laughs> right well I, I created my own hell okay yeah yeah. So I, I'm really trying hard not to create my own hell again. Yeah. Um, well, I want to, you know, see how comfortable you're at. You're talking about this. It's just, you know, personally how you've grown since starting this company. What's kind of next for, for, for you? I know you're still very involved here, but you, you know, the, the, the um, emerging leaders, you're probably act very actively involved as well. So um, are there other initiatives you're looking to start or... Um, I mean, so emerging leaders, I probably meet with about a hundred CEOs a a year to, um, 
have conversations of where where that CEO is on their racial equity journey and and how they could you know whether they want to get involved as an in, intern or a mentor or you know just those are really fulfilling conversations so I'm very very involved in that um, at Eroy uh, we are re rebranding here and there's like a lot of um, before you came into my office just now, like you met two of my key execs, Keely and Isaac Lee. And so one of the things that's been really hard for me is I'm very much a doer. um, And so I've had to literally like stop myself midstream and go, oh, Keely's got that. So Keely is now our president. And so she uh, manages all the operations, basically all the directors report into her and then Isaac Lee is running our innovations lab called the shed and so is doing kind of like um almost very entrepreneurial like mobile app software cool. company startup and um the innovation lab is an opportunity for our employees who have great entrepreneurial ideas to um to basically have us fund those ideas internal and incubator right yeah it's yeah, yeah it's an internal incubator and that just launched um, six weeks ago. So all of this stuff is pretty new. Um, and it's definitely, um, I think that as a founder and CEO, that we are the limiter of our company's growth as far as like how self-aware we are and how much we can let others lead and like mentor them in that process. But you ha- a you have to have really great execs like we have um, here, and that you know is partially organic, partially can be hired from the outside. But uh, it's so much of it, it's about chemistry and really intentionally working on that. And so you know, so I'm shifting into mentor role, um, which has been great but hard. And you say hard like just let, letting go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. It's hard to feel like you're not adding value to something that you did everything at before, and you you have to uh, uh, confine yourself to just being you know um, being in the business development mindset and doing some things in culture, but like making sure to be clear to everyone that, um, you know, this, you know, you really need to go to Keely for this. You really need to go to Isaac Lee for this. Like we're just having this conversation, but ultimately you're going to have to repeat it (laughs) over here. And, um, so it's, you know, it's just, it's hard to stop your natural impulses. Um, but the benefits are huge because, it's empowering to not um, get in people's way, you know? Um, But yeah, all of that is very real time um, because like I said, it's all just a few weeks old here. Yeah. And I I recently had a, my friend, Mike Winehouse, who you you might know Mike and he was talking about the same thing, right? It's like kind of letting go a little bit and they're growing a lot too. So um, yeah, it's, I almost, as a listener, I wonder if it's like um, so cliched that it doesn't sink in. It's one of those 
visceral things that you have to experience. Yeah. Um, if I can get more specific, I'll try and think of that because I don't know. It's kind of like as an entrepreneur, like you go to these, you know, pitch events and all these things and everybody's always like, oh, you just got to focus. And it's like, <sighs> Thanks. Like that's like you yeah, got to communicate not, better. That that right. does no good. Like that yeah. is so not helpful. Yeah. So I don't know how we'll have to have a part two to this at some point. But um, yeah, it would or maybe get like Q and A from the yeah. listeners of like what would what specifically would be helpful. But um, all I can say is it's literally like a physical thing where I have to like stop myself from walking in a particular direction mm. and then um, go either back to my desk or go on a bike ride or something right. to like not uh, interfere with the progress that's being made. Hmm. We'll have to have a part two. Yeah. I'm interested in that. Uh, all right, Ryan. Well, Hey, thanks so much for being on the podcast and sharing. Yeah. I love being here. So um, thanks for coming this way and checking out our office too. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I'm Dan Bruden, and you've been listening to the PDX Executive Podcast. Original music was composed for this episode by Levi Downey. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts 